0: Amen. Amen. Take your copy of God's Word today and turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Some of you have probably looked in your bulletin today and you recognize that I was preaching this passage. And it occurred to you, this is the passage I preached last week. And I took probably 40 minutes on it last week, so how in the world would I have anything left to say... On this passage Genesis chapter 2 verses 18 through 25 So just so that I make some of you comfortable I also want you to look at Ephesians chapter 5 today So we'll introduce a new passage as well, okay? And that way you feel like you're getting fresh material today And that it's not just a rerun from last week I do want to talk to you about I think a very important issue today And I recognize up front that I am wading off into some deep waters And that is Very humbling to me, especially since I can't swim. All right. But I am thankful that as I wade off into these waters, I have sure footing underneath me. In other words, I have the footing of the scripture. I have the Bible to give me the foundation that I need as I look at these issues. Today, I want to talk to you about the roles we play. I want to talk to you about gender who we are, gender, the roles that we play in our marriages, in the church, and I think in many ways throughout our lives. I want to go back again to the creational design that God gave us. This week I was thinking about the comment that Billy Graham made when a charge was brought to him some years ago about his preaching, about his teaching. Someone came to him and said, Dr. Graham, It seems that you would take the church back a hundred years or so. To which Billy Graham said, I would rather take the church back 2,000 years. And you know, for me, as I think about that, I believe that God calls us to go back to those basic relationships, those basic foundations of who we are. Those basic foundations of our faith, I would even say to you today that as we think of marriage and relationships as we think about life itself that we can go back even thousands of years and see the creational design of our God. I believe Genesis 1, 2, 3, I believe they still speak to us. They give us a model. They give us a pattern. They give us a blueprint. And I pray that today as we work through this, I pray maybe in the long run that I won't open more questions then I answer. But I pray that hopefully God would challenge us as men and women of God to fulfill the roles that he's given us. With that being said, let me move on and look at Genesis chapter two, beginning in verse 18. It says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now look at Ephesians chapter 5, if you will, beginning in verse 22. There Paul writes and he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with a washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. What an account from both Genesis and Ephesians of God's created order, of God's creation of gender and of the gender relationships that he places us in. What a mention of the roles that we play as his people. I want you to notice as we work through this today that first, God created gender itself. God created gender itself. Here in Genesis chapter 2, we're told about the creation of not only Adam, but Eve. Now, remember in the first chapter, you have this widescreen look at creation. You have more of a panoramic view of what is going on in creation. In Genesis 2, the writer focuses us just for a few moments on the creation of humanity itself, the, the crowning achievement of creation. And he tells us something about the creation of Adam and Eve. Male and female. Remember back in Genesis 127, it says that God created male and female. In other words, he created us and he created our gender. It is the only place in chapter 1 where sexuality itself is mentioned. Male and female. Somehow in that connection, it says that we display the image and the glory of God. Remember, God had said let us make man in our own image. And he made them in such a way and he made them male and female. Somehow, even in that relationship, God demonstrates his image and his glory. Now, two or three weeks ago, I talked about the image of God. Some of you were here then. Those of you who weren't, you've been listening online, catching up. Some of of you I had in mind and you weren't here that Sunday when I preached that. But I hope that you'll go and you'll, the image of God That each one bears the image and, and as we mentioned that day That one aspect of the image of God Is the relational being that we are Just as in the Godhead The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit Relate to one another In this relationship So God has put us together As men and women To be able to relate to one another Instead of the three being one Two becomes one I think that is what we see in the passage as we think think of the creation of gender gender is part of the created order itself it seems to be so simple for us it seems to be so straightforward for us as we read through the scripture but we recognize that today in our culture there is chaos when it comes to the idea of gender there's confusion everywhere and and friends I don't make light of it in what in any way the confusion that's going on with so many younger people as they're trying to find out what gender... I I don't make light of it because our culture has screamed at them over and over and over telling them that there are so many different ways to express gender. Why would we think that there would be anything less than the confusion and the chaos that we see today in the messages that are being given? Let me give you an example. In the Washington State Public School Curriculum they will begin teaching ways to express gender to their kindergartners. In particular, the kindergartners will understand that there are, quote, many ways to express gender. By grade five, students will be taught to, quote, identify trusted adults to ask questions about gender identity and sexual orientation. I say to you that we should not Be surprised that there is chaos and confusion when it comes to this idea of gender We shouldn't dismiss it in such a glib way Because what is happening is that our culture is teaching and sharing with so many different individuals this idea of confusion and it is obviously having its impact We as god's people We as god's people should declare the truth of god in love We should be considerate, we should be compassionate, and yet we should say God made male and female. That there is gender identity that he created, he created itself. And friends, it starts right here. It starts in our families. It starts in the church's life, in the message that we give. I'm afraid... That we in our families and we in our churches have contributed to this confusion. And some of the roles that we play and some of the things that we've done over the last few years, we have contributed to the confusion itself. I was challenged this week as I read a devotion by Jim Dennison where Jim reminded his readers that our first job is not to change culture. Now that got my attention when I read that. I was like, now, come on. We talk about changing culture all the time. But Jim Dennison reminded us that our first responsibility as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not, hear me, is not to change culture. Rather, our first responsibility is to make sure that culture does not change us. Romans chapter 12 says that we are not to be conformed, we're not to be conformed to the to the message, to the image of this world, of this culture. But rather, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So I say to you that we can complain about culture all day long, but it starts right here in the way we recognize gender, in the way we recognize God's equality of the genders, as God gives us the roles of the genders. And we must share that and speak to that consistently. We need to recognize that there are differences. Let me say that again. Men and women are different. I thought somebody in here would probably agree. And those differences are well attested to. I'm not talking about just biological differences. I'm talking about emotional, psychological. You can look at studies over and over and over. And it says there is something that is different about each gender that men and women are different but God created us in such a way to complement one another isn't this what is awesome is that in the marriage relationship in particular it says that God was looking for a helper for somebody a companion for Adam and he found Eve and within that relationship they could complement one another because they're different those of you who are married you're probably different from your spouse and thank God praise the Lord I mean come on with them hallelujah (laughs) yes you're different that's fine because God takes the differences he takes our diversity and he brings us together in one just as he takes the diversity of the church and he unifies us together as one body so does he take the differences of the gender, the male and female, and he brings them together into one flesh, the Scripture says, to complement one another. So I want you to hear this morning that we, or that God, created gender itself. God also created gender equality. Now listen to what I mean by this. Today, when our culture speaks about equality... It speaks mainly about sameness, that we are the same. I mean, that's basically what you see. We are just the same. We have the same role, same... I mean, think of this. The culture that celebrates diversity is the culture that somehow denies gender differences. The culture that somehow has prided itself on being diverse Has somehow said there are really no differences. You can almost be gender neutral. And we should be. God has shown us that true equality is not that we share the same roles. But equality is that we have equal value and importance before him. And hopefully before each other. Equal value and importance. Notice again. In the passage, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says that male and female were made in the image of God. Hear this very clearly. Both men and women retain, to some degree, the image of God. There is value in both men and women. Men have not cornered the market on the image but rather men and women share the image of God. Also, as you look through this passage that I read a moment ago, note that Eve was the only one, the only one that was found to be Adam's equal. Nothing else in creation. Notice again, Adam looking around, he's looking at all of creation. There's just not anything or anyone that is suitable. But God brings Eve. Because she is his equal. As we shared last week, that here is she is taken from the rib of Adam. It is the idea that she is taken from the same substance. And again, when I say this, we can have different roles, but we recognize that we come from the same origin, that we have the same substance. I shared with you again this idea for men and women that the hebrew word itself shows the connection just like our english word man and woman it shows the connection between men and women adam when he saw eve remember what i said he broke out in poetic verse poetic voice he said this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man so he speaks In such a way to recognize the equality of the person of that woman. We need to understand again that men and women are of equal importance. Of equal value before God in our essence. The New Testament confirms this again. Galatians chapter 3 verse 28. Paul is writing and this is what he says. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave or free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ. Now, Paul was not trying to deny the reality that there is male and female. He wasn't trying to deny the reality of people's ethnic heritage or their status in society. He wasn't trying to deny the reality. He was just simply saying... That when you take male and female, when you take a Jew or Greek, understand that when they come before the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the ground itself is level. That that they have access to Christ Jesus. They have importance and value to Christ. So we preach that and we share that. Men, a word given to us in 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 as he writes to so he writes to families and he talks about this idea of leadership and submission. He says to husbands, he says, recognize that your wives are heirs with you. So, in other words, men, husbands, our wives are joint heirs with us to the kingdom of God. That gives them a sense of equality, a sense of value, a sense of importance. <clears throat> As I was reading this week, and I, I've read all kinds of biblical responses. I've read, of course, the scripture and tried to ascertain what it said first. And then I went to those individuals who are good Bible expositors, and I read and studied. I was reminded by Wayne Grudem of the right, the sign of the covenant, and how it conveys to us the equality Of women today, their value and importance In the Old Testament, what was the sign of the covenant? Circumcision Obviously given only for men In the New Testament What is the sign of the covenant? It is baptism And baptism is not given just for men But it is given for men and women So that people can understand That they can have the sign of the covenant itself In their lives Because they have joined They have joined the family Of God So listen, I believe that God created gender according to what the scripture says. It's part of the created order itself. I believe that God has called gender equality. He has created it as we understand that men and women are of equal value and importance before God. And if I only stopped there, you would be so excited, wouldn't you? But I also believe, as I read the Scripture, as I hear the witness of the Old Testament and the New Testament, that there are gender roles. God created these. So many people believe that gender roles were somehow created by the fall. My friends, gender roles were corrupted by the fall, but they were not created by the fall. Even before the fall, there was a design that God gave. So let me suggest this to you. And again, I'm borrowing upon language that I've read. I'm so indebted to uh, people like John Piper and Wayne Grudem. And if you've never read this book, you ought to read it. It's called biblical manhood and womanhood. It's an old book written in 1991, <laughs> but you ought to go back and you ought to read it. It is a collection of essays by evangelical scholars on different scriptures, on different thoughts re- regarding manhood and womanhood, biblical manhood and womanhood. I want, I, want to, I want to use a little bit of their language. I'm not giving you their definitions. I've kind of tried to bring it in a succinct way, but yet use some of the terminology that's been used over the years. I believe that the primary role of the man is to provide considerate, benevolent leadership, especially as it is expressed in marriage, the church, and so on. I want to give you this up front, and then I'm going to build my case for it, okay? Women. Well, women are to demonstrate freeing, encouraging affirmation of the leadership of worthy men, especially as it is demonstrated in marriage, or the family, the church, and so on. So let me kind of try to flesh this out for you today. Here in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, actually, I think you see how there there was a specific role for Adam. Before the fall, before the corruption, there was a specific role of Adam to give leadership. One, notice again that Adam is created first. Now, you say that doesn't matter. Yes, it does. As you read these early chapters, these early books of the Scripture, you will see that it does matter. The idea of the firstborn brought with it special privileges, special opportunities. It's found throughout, especially the Pentateuch itself. The idea of the firstborn. Adam was created first. Paul uses this idea. Paul appealed to the idea that Adam had been created first. He had appealed to it as he spoke about the church and authority in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. So, in other words, even the apostles understood that there was something about Adam being created first. Also, as you read through this, you'll notice that Eve was formed from Adam. You say, that's not a big deal for me. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8, it was a big deal for Paul. As he used again this creational argument that there was something that was different in the roles. Here the scripture says that Eve was created as a helper. I will make him a helper, comparable to him. I think you cannot miss this idea here in this context that somehow that Eve was to bring affirmation and encouragement and help to Adam. Now, in recent years, do you know what evangelical we call them evangelical feminists have suggested? They've gone and they found that word help, helper. And they will note that this idea, of helper, often refers to God in the scripture. And it does, certainly does. As you read through it, you'll find there are places where God Himself is called the helper. Same terminology. But what evangelical feminists have done is they have taken that word and they've reversed it. And they have said, actually, Eve was the one, Eve was the one that should have been giving leadership just as God gives leadership when he helps so does Eve give the leadership to this relationship that totally dismisses the context of this passage in order to promote a certain agenda when you see this idea of helper is the idea that she is the companion again the only companion found compatible to bring to Adam Also, you'll note that Adam named Eve. Some of you appreciated it last week. Not sure you would appreciate it again, but remember what I said most of us guys would have done? We saw the first woman. We would not have broken out in such eloquent, poetic verse. No, we would not have. We would have seen her and we would have said, whoa, man, yes, and that's how she would have gotten her name, woman, just like that. Whoa, Sorry, that's just us. We're not that eloquent, folks. Not us. The idea of naming carries with it the idea of leadership. It is found throughout Genesis. When God changes the name, for example, of Abram, or when he changes the name of Jacob, he shows in some way his leadership in their lives. The serpent came to Eve first. I believe... As I read this, as I've understood the context of this passage and this narrative, is that as Adam comes, I mean, the serpent comes to Eve first, it is in hopes to reverse the created order. It is the temptation, Eve, you take the leadership here. You take this from your husband. You eat this piece of fruit. God spoke to Adam first. Remember this? When God comes after the sin, who does he call for? He calls for Adam. Where are you? Adam. Why? Because Adam was the one that was supposed to be demonstrating leadership in this relationship. And then, remember when God speaks to them, he does not say, because you have eaten of this forbidden fruit. He says, because you have listened to your wife. Guys, you better be careful with that one, by the way. (laughs) Don't go home and have a conversation about that one after this service. There are many days we better be listening to our wives. Many days that we better be listening. But I want to show you here, there is the accountability because the roles have been reversed. Because Satan tries to distort everything that God calls perfect and wonderful. And good, Satan will always try to distort those kinds of relationships. Let me just say this finally. Adam, not Eve, represented all of humanity. Read Romans chapter 5. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Adam stood at the head of humanity. He represented all of us as he sinned. I say to you that as you look at the case of creation, there's no doubt in my mind that God created Adam in this perfect, wonderful way, in this perfect garden. He created Adam to be a spiritual leader, to be a spiritual leader in his family, to be a spiritual leader according to God's principles. Well, some of you looking at your clock let me get to Ephesians 5 very quickly I want to show you that not only in creational order but also in the New Testament God has ordained I think spiritual leaders men to be the head to be the spiritual leaders of their home of the church and so on Paul addresses the marriage relationship the passage I read Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Seems very clear here. He says there is some requirement, some responsibility of the wife to affirm and to encourage her husband. The husband, it says, is the head. Not just the source, but the head. Again, people have tried to explain this away through the years. But when you read the context, there is, I believe, clarity that the husband is to provide the leadership. To the marriage, the leadership to the family. Here, the example is given of Christ and the church, just as Christ leads the church. Right? There's never a time. There's never a time where Christ says, "Okay, church, you lead me." I mean, for people that try to say, "Oh, it's just mutual," no, that, that's not what it says here. Now, I do believe you can press the analogy too much, but I, in its basic message. Is the idea that the husband the father should be the spiritual leader of course this is a unique relationship in marriage I can't go into it today because I don't have enough time but the marriage relationship is unique and is different from other relationships in other words my relationship with Leslie the the spiritual aspect of that the leadership the submission all of that that's different from my relationship with other women this specifically speaks to the marriage. But I will say that Paul addresses male leadership in the churches as well. He affirmed the ministry of women. Let me say that to start with. He affirmed the ministry of women. Look at people like Phoebe and Priscilla and others in the New Testament that he affirmed their ministry, but he recognized that there was something about the leadership of the church that there should be a recognized gender role that is played there. It should be men who are giving the leadership to the local church. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 36, and 11, 2 through 16. That there are certainly those aspects of the church. Why, why are we doing what we're doing today? We're about to elect deacons in a few moments, right? We are. I don't know if you noticed this, but all the folks on there are men. Did you? It got by you, didn't it? You didn't even. It's funny when they first printed up, actually, Corky Walpole was on there. And I was like, wow, Corky, she's going to make it. You know, like, why do we do, why do we practice the way? I mean, it's not, shouldn't be just about tradition, the reason we do the things that we do. It should be about what the scripture teaches us. And we believe, according to what the scripture teaches us, that. Men are to give the leadership in the local church. The way we use our deacons here, which deacons here have that sense of authority, that is the reason we limit it it to men. But Jesus, oh, that was Paul there. Because Paul, you know, Paul is just like he is. How about Jesus? Well, let me just say this. I believe that all of our scripture is God's word. If Paul wrote it, it's still God's word. I said to our class Wednesday night, I believe that every word that we find here in this Bible could be found in red Because all of it is God's word to us When we start picking and choosing and determining what we want to be right and what we want to be wrong It is when we find ourselves on a slippery slope of devastation So I believe Paul as he's writing it is God's word, but let's go back to Jesus think about him just a moment He affirmed the ministry of women when I was in the New Testament studies, I would look at the Gospel of Luke. What would they say? One of the characteristics is God's affirmation of women, particularly in ministry and in work. Whether it was Mary or Mary Magdalene, Jesus affirmed them. But also Jesus recognized, I believe, male leadership in the king. He chose male apostles. Some of you say, well, because it was the cultural way of the day. My Jesus was not confined to the social customs and culture of the day. He was not. He broke many of the customs. He broke many of the culture, culture, cultural regulations. Here, Jesus chose the male apostles. I say to you that Jesus, I believe, affirmed male leadership. Again, now, considerate benevolent leadership. This is what Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 5. Considerate benevolent leadership. Love is used six times. Six times. Christ is the example. Servant leadership. Sacrificial leadership. Notice here it says, basically, that everything that he does, that he loves her for her. He does what he does for her, the church. In other words, everything that Jesus did was for the advantage of you and me. And husbands, I say to you today that if we are the leaders, if we are the Christ examples, everything that we would do would be to honor and cherish our wives. John Piper said that Jesus led his bride to holiness and heaven on the Calvary Road never forget that we should give ourselves up for our wives unfortunately the fall corrupted the role if you look at the fall it says that men would rule it's a very harsh word that is used and because of that today we have seen in our culture we have seen abuse we have seen men act in an unmanly way toward women And those things should be denounced. Those things should be dismissed from our lives. Instead of harshness, instead of dominating, God calls us to live with a benevolent type of consideration for women and for our wives in particular. We should not be domineering. Let me say this, but we should not be passive as well. I'm afraid that many guys in my generation especially have become passive in leading They have given over the reins of the spiritual leadership of their family to everyone else instead of being accountable before God. The idea of the one flesh principle, one body that you would not hurt. Just as you would not hurt your body, you would not hurt her. That's what Paul says. We have a responsibility. Dr. James Dobson expressed it this way. He said, a Christian man is obligated to lead his family to the best of his ability. If his family has purchased too many items on credit, then the financial crunch is ultimately his fault. If the family never reads the Bible or seldom goes to church on Sunday, God holds the man to blame. If the children are disrespectful and disobedient, the primary responsibility lies with the father, not his wife. In my view, America's greatest need is for husbands to begin guiding their families rather than pouring every physical and emotional resource into the mere acquisition of money. Today, we need dads who would stand up and be the dads they should be. Wives, I don't have as much time for you, and you're proud. (laughs) Let me say this. Let me just kind of read through this very quickly. God has called wives to the freeing, affirming recognition or affirmation of the leadership of worthy men. What submission does not mean, I do want to say this, it does not mean putting the husband in place of Christ. Christ is always the authority. You never you never compromise your values and your morals because your husband tells you to. Christ is your boss. It does not mean women have lesser intelligence or spiritual discernment. As a matter of fact, if you read 1 Peter chapter 3, there you have the idea of a woman who is a believer, the husband who is an unbeliever. She is to submit, hopefully, to win him to Christ. I say to you that she actually has more spiritual discernment than he does because she is a believer. It does not mean you shouldn't try to influence, pray, or counsel your husband. It does not mean that you are of lesser value. You can have a different role and still have equality. Think of the Trinity just a moment. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, all of equal essence. And yet they had different roles. The Father sent the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ submitted himself willingly to the Father. They were of equality. They had the same power, but yet Jesus showed us what true submission is does not mean you are left out of the mission or ministry of Christ. All of us should declare the glory of God. Every individual should be mobilized for the kingdom purposes. And and I got to say this. Thanks be to God for the ministry of women through the church. Thanks be to God because some of us would not be here today except women were teaching and working. So there were roles for them and ministry for them that we can't even begin to imagine. I love the way... Dr. Janine Bozeman told us this in class. I see Dr. Lemke here today. Dr. Janine Bozeman, my professor at New Orleans, she said to us, She said, Whereas the men may be the head of the church, women are the heart of the church. And you never forget it. And sometimes we have too much head and we need more heart. Thanks be to God, because we complement one another in the ministry. A corruption of the fall is for a corruption of the fall is that women would somehow. Long for their husband the terminology there made me to conquer their husband in other words There's something inside that's part of the corruption of the fall But when you recognize the creational design the biblical design, I believe you are freed I believe you can affirm your husband and recognize the leadership. Hey ladies in this place. Is there one person? Is there one person that would have an issue? Yielding to the leadership of her husband if her husband showed the love of Christ I don't think so. God has called us to recognize our roles. I close with this from John Piper. He said, When the Lord visits us from on high and creates a mighty army of deeply spiritual men committed to the word of God and global mission, the vast majority of women will rejoice over the leadership of these men And enter into a joyful partnership that upholds and honors the beautiful biblical pattern of mature manhood and mature womanhood. When the Lord visits us. When men recognize their God-given roles. And let me say this to you today, those of you who are here. Men, would you commit yourself today to the God-given role that he's placed before you? That you will assume that place of spiritual leadership in your family in particular. Women today, will you rejoice? Will you affirm? Will you give thanks for your husbands as they step forward to commit themselves to Christ? Today, could we celebrate that God is the one who created gender? Today, can we celebrate that God created us equally of of equal value and importance? But also, can we today celebrate that God has given us roles? And may we fulfill those roles before his presence. Let's pray. Father, we praise you today. We thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that always, always your truth would change us and transform us. We pray, Lord, that we would speak this truth with compassion and love and that we'd recognize in a sensitive way the value that you have given to each individual. Now, God, challenge us for the men sitting in this place. Lord, get a hold of them today and remind them of your work in their lives, of the responsibility you've called them to. And may this day be a day when they commit themselves to to rise up, Lord, for their family's sake, for their marriage's sake, for the church, for the culture. Lord, for these women, Lord, who have given of their lives and, Lord, who have affirmed, who have encouraged those who have taken active part in ministry, Lord, continue to use them in their families and in the church. Lord, we praise you today and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?